1: That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, former mayor of a California beach town and best-selling author of The Happiest Corruption, Sleaze, Lies, and Suicide in the California Beach Town, Debbie, the Honorable Debbie Peterson. <laughs> Also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, BlogTalk Radio, and a whole bunch more. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two on Feedspot. Out of the top 60 and number two on airingvillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Mary Elaine Petrucci is a healthcare expert who's nearly 20 years of healthcare pharmaceutical sales and marketing experience with healthcare organizations. She has a master's in business administration in healthcare management from Boston University. Okay, and Mary Elaine is on the advocacy committee of the National Aging in Place Council since February, 2023. Mary Elaine now holds designations as a master practitioner of timeline therapy, as well as trainer and institute head of neurolinguistic programming and hydrotherapy. But I do want to take a moment to thank my last week's guest, Richard Allen, all about grief. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio and video platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Mary Elaine, so nice to have you on. I always like to so my, much. I always like to ask my guests who are here for the first time, just who is Mary Elaine Petrucci? And why was she placed on this earth? Uh,
2: I was placed on this earth uh, to help caregivers. Specifically, I was a caregiver for both my parents and helped them get the 24-7 care that they needed. Um, I also did go to court two days before Christmas to seek guardianship of my mother because... She had Alzheimer's and my father was in denial. She had fallen twice hey. during that summer, went to rehab, she broke her um, collarbone and then went to rehab, came home, fell and broke her pelvis, went oh to rehab. Oh my gosh. So, yes, um he was I, in
1: denial I, about her condition and that's why she yes. kept falling. Yes. She doesn't need a cane, she doesn't need a walker, that kind of stuff.
2: Basically, yes.
1: How sad. Denial is a terrible thing. It's not just a river in Egypt, you know.
0: (laughs) So, really What's the connection between the falls and the Alzheimer's?
2: Great question. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in June of 2002. She started falling in late summer of 2005. So, after the second. Uh, skilled nursing rehab visit, I asked dad to place mom on a memory care unit until we could bring her home with 24-7 care. At that point, my father initially was taking my mother home without me knowing it. He had a friend build a steep ramp outside the front door. So if mom attempted to go down that ramp with her walker or was unsecured in her wheelchair, it would have been I think so I would go to work, not knowing if I was going to have uh, a phone call saying one or both of them were seriously injured or killed. And that's the reason why I went to court two days after Christmas with my attorney and dad's attorney and mom.
1: And how did dad uh, react to that uh, insubordination, (laughs) not following the chain of command?
2: Well, initially he... Made a comment that he would disown me. And I said, (laughs) Well, that is your choice. My choice is to help mom. And I would be doing a disservice to mom if I didn't stand up for her and advocate for her. Uh, And I said to dad, You know, if that's your choice, then I'll have to live with it. Good girl. So were you
0: the only family member dealing with it?
2: Yes. My brother passed away at fourteen or fifteen, excuse me. So I was the only child to step in. The second nursing home informed me that they couldn't contact the adult protective services on mom's behalf because I was the closest kin to my mother and so it was really up to me at that point to make that decision
1: why did they um, want to contact them
2: several reasons um well one in particular though um in this nursing home you had to go up a steep ramp to get onto the rehab floor
1: against the building code no doubt and most likely (laughs) wonder how that happened
2: yeah i you know
1: Mayor, former mayor, how does that happen?
0: (laughs) No, I'll tell you, I saw it all the time. It happens, I think, because you have people who have no idea what it's really like to be in that situation, and they're making the choices and doing the designs, and they have no clue.
1: Or maybe they did it without a permit, right?
2: Mm -hmm. That too. Well, um, so according Uh to the staff at the nursing home, dad had mom walk down that steep ramp with her walker, I guess, with no support. And when I heard that, I was pretty appalled. I'm a speech-language pathologist by training, and I did work in independent assisted living facilities, memory care units, and long-term care facilities, and home care during the summer. And that really scared me beyond belief, and like I had mentioned earlier, my father had a friend build that steep ramp outside the front door, so it just... So we're
1: talking about two steep ramps, one at the right. facility and one at the home. Yes. And, and why would they want to call Protective Services? Because it was their own ramp, wasn't it?
2: Not, no, because dad was allowing my mother to go down the ramp without support.
1: Oh, I see. They're both kind of guilty, aren't they? (laughs) Yes. That's probably why they didn't do it. (laughs) Wow. So
0: on your, um, you said you worked in in facilities, uh, nursing care facilities. Mm. What did you do when you were there?
2: I was a speech language pathologist. So I worked with clients with memory problems, um, cognitive issues, some could be just um, a voice problem. It could be anything from like a, a traumatic brain injury. Um, it could be Alzheimer's or dementia.
1: Mm. Now, when you Let say... Just, sorry, go oh, ahead. No, you go ahead, Deb.
0: Let me ask you a personal question. Um mm-hmm. I had a traumatic brain injury and I still am really not able to memorize things. I can only remember like three things. I know most people can do five, not me. I've sequenced three. I think I was born that way, but, but I do have troubles, for instance, giving a speech. I will not be able to memorize a speech word for word. Um, is that something that neurolinguistics, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's lots of people out there who have this same problem if they've had strokes or are aging. Um, can mm-hmm. neurolinguistics help with something like that?
2: Um, it can to, to a certain point, but neuro linguistic programming really looks at negative emotions, mm-hmm. limiting beliefs, um, some communication um, in terms of um, your meta programs. So you learn that um, we're in- bombarded with information, like twelve million bits of information a second. So it goes through Stop. our filters distorting it, generalizing it, and deleting it based on our values and beliefs. And then we're left with about seven plus or minus two bits of information that we can actually deal with. So you can help the person. So a caregiver can help a person look at the responses that they're getting from their client and then look at what information has been deleted, distorted, or generalized so that the person being cared for is understood better? So that they can, the caregiver can take care of that person um, more holistically and be able to communicate with them. They can also use um, representational systems, which are, um, are visual auditory gustatory kinesthetic auditory and so for example if you if i for example said i see your point c is a visual construct Mm -hmm. so i'm talking to somebody who says i hear that you had this promotion here is an auditory word right So if I am going to build rapport with you, I would say, you're right, I heard that there was this promotion and I went and applied for it. So you're speaking to the other person in their representational or communication system. So again, you're building that rapport with the person that you're caring for and you're reducing like the chances for conflict or miscommunication
1: yeah and then the third one is kinesthetic the touchy-feely thing. yes i know how you feel
2: exactly
1: <laughs> too yes so i want to ask you you said sure. both your parents needed 24 7 care how did that begin and how did it trans transform and transition into that Because I always tell caregivers, if if you're caring for someone who needs 24-7 care, Mm -hmm. it's time to put them in a facility. And a lot of caregivers don't. They're getting up every two hours, maybe turning them over so they don't get bed sores. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not getting sleep. They're lucky if they get two hours sleep. In fact, I was told it's hard to believe that the average caregiver gets between two and three hours sleep a night. I mean, I can't survive on that. So how did it happen with you uh, I assume it started with your mother and then yes. and then your father. Did he get Alzheimer's or dementia, too, or no?
2: Um, he just had um, a memory problem, yeah. um, so it wasn't <laughs> considered dementia or sure, sure,
1: sure. Alzheimer's. All right, so how did it start, the 24-7, okay. and how did you transition into it?
2: After we went to court, or when we went to court, the judge um, declared that both my parents had to undergo neuropsychological evaluations by two separate neuropsychologists.
1: And did you apply for both of them or that was his idea to get them both at the same time?
2: Yes, it was a judge's decision to do that yeah. because my father was the opposing party.
1: Ah, he, so it, you're saying he was a bad influence on on your mother and was putting her in danger. Yes. So how did did they pass? Obviously not.
2: Well, my my mother's evaluation obviously showed she had a severe cognitive um, impairment and needed 24-7 care.
1: Okay. So there was no debate she's going in a facility, right?
2: No. She was not going into a facility. Okay. Okay. Um, That wasn't really a consideration. We did put her in a memory care unit until we could get through this process. Before I went to court and we kept her in... um, a facility until we could bring her home with twenty four seven care.
1: Okay, well, let me stop you there. I'll take this one step at a time. When sure. you brought her home, I assume she still needed twenty four seven care. Yes. Yes. So, how did you, a mere mortal, provide 24 twenty four seven uh, care for your mother? I'm I'm anxious to hear that.
2: That's a great question. <laughs> I helped um, my father. Well, my father. Let me go back. Cook shifts. Father, Pardon me?
1: Did you you and your father take shifts with uh, her?
2: No, we didn't. My father did agree to bring my mother home with 24-7 care. And we brought her home on May 22nd, their 50th wedding anniversary, with 24-7 uh-huh. care. It was at that point my what father...
1: What does that mean? You, you brought a live-in caregiver? Is that what you meant? Yes. Okay. Yes. And who paid for that? Did, did they have finances? Was,
2: my parents had finances. Okay. Um, we also had to adjust the three shifts that were coming in. Mm. um, And we were moving toward having someone stay with mom for like three or four days and then have somebody else come in and take care of her. I was uh, managing to make sure that mom was getting the twenty four seven care that she needed. I also um, paid for participation in an adult daycare center twice a week. So okay. she would be out. Getting- Were you
1: working full time? Yes. Okay. And your father, he wasn't working. He was retired. Yes. But he was of little help because of his impairment, whatever that was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Are they still alive now or no?
2: No, they're not.
1: So I assume your mother died first? Yes. And then how did your father handle that?
2: He seemed to handle it uh, fairly well. Um Initially, I had him stay <clears throat> with me for a short period of time until he could get more acclimated um, to living alone or with some support nearby. And um, I was doing a remote speech-language pathology position. Right. So I was like three to five hours away from Denver, and I... Was contacted by one of the two women who were providing housekeeping and cooking for my father. One of them contacted me and informed me that my father was having memory problems.
0: Okay, and
2: so it was at that point uh, I had to find twenty four seven care for him.
1: Okay, you have any questions, Deb?
0: Well, I'm looking at some of the things Mm -hmm. that that you had suggested you might like to say and and talk about. and There are a couple of things, the statistics of caregivers and then Mm -hmm. the alarming statistics for the future. Could you talk to that a bit to kind of give Mm -hmm. us some perspective?
2: Definitely. About 35% of caregivers rate their health fair to poor. (laughs) 40 to 70% of them have clinical symptoms of depression. Uh And besides the stress, overwhelm, and burnout that they experience, 30% of them pass away or die before the one that they're caring for. So um, obviously, they're not taking care of themselves. Self-care is the last thing on their list, if it's on a list at all. Um, The staggering statistics for me uh, that I had discussed at the National Caregivers Conference in October was that 76 million more baby boomers will be retiring by 2030. That means that's 45% of the U.S. workforce, and there will be no one to take care of them.
1: 76% of who?
2: 67 million baby boomers. 67 million, wow. Will be retiring by 2030. and. That's 45% of our work U.S. workforce, and there will be no one to care for them. And that's why I'm working now with the National Aging in Place Council on their advocacy committee, because I want to make sure that caregivers are heard, that they're being seen, and that they're being recognized for what they do, because there's a huge financial impact on their retirement savings and employment opportunities that they no longer have once they become a full-time caregiver,
1: yeah, that's why I like uh, Debbie uh, here as my co-host because a lot of this just keeps coming around to political clout for caregivers, which they have none, you know so many other people groups have got the hang of it, you know the 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 gay organizations and mm-hmm. And Alzheimer's, very, very strong. And uh, they have very strong funding. And caregivers in general got nothing.
0: And it's so important what you're doing, um, <clears throat> Marilyn, because as I always say, when you most need to advocate yourself for yourself, you're least able to. And this is one of those situations. <clears throat> and so it's wonderful that you have somewhere that people can um, support, be involved, perhaps get supported. Can you tell us more about your advocacy?
2: Advocacy Committee on the National Aging in Place Council mm. formulated some legislation back in November, and we had a lobbyist speak to us in February, and he felt that it would be better if we kind of cut back on what we were asking just to make sure that it could get through Congress. Um, Apparently, the president did sign some legislation for caregivers about a month, month and a half ago. It was pretty recent. However, there's a long way to go um, because I would like to work with the advocacy committee so that we can... Find either a solution or to v- avoid this crisis we're going to have in seven years. So,
1: and yeah, I call it the tsunami on the horizon. Yes. And what do you know exactly what he um, what he wrote into law and and how much it involves and what you need to do to get it?
2: Um, I think he gave some recognition to family caregivers. Um,
1: recognition I think
2: giving, giving them some stipend or something for them
1: on their tax form
2: yes yes
1: i wonder how you get that <laughs>
2: i am yeah. i will find out for you it must I-
1: be starting this year next year uh retroactive you know what, uh, details
2: i don't know the specific details. I how
1: we can find out
2: um, I will find out for you. I think um, <clears throat> I see some things on
0: on the state level too, and I don't know if you advocate on yeah. the state level. It's d- very difficult when there are fifty of them, but mm-hmm. um, I I do see, for instance, Hawaii is extremely um, strong on aging in place and the most aging generous. Yes. Mm-hmm. At California, I think there are a few things that I saw yeah. on my tax forms this year, but I uh, they haven't. They're no nowhere near what we've got in Hawaii.
2: Being a former caregiver, I understand the impacts that caregiving has on families. In my situation, for example, fortunately, my father didn't disown me. You have to step up where you feel comfortable. I know it's a difficult situation for a lot of people. For example, I was reading a post in... A Facebook caregiving group. And this woman was saying that her mother needed support. Um, her siblings wanted nothing to do with the mother, nothing to do with caregiving. And she was really torn because she herself did not have a good relationship with her mother. And I really um, felt that she had to heal herself before she could um, start caregiving for someone that she didn't have a really great relationship with. So that's where the neuro-linguistic programming comes in. I want to help caregivers with that so that they can have overcome their stress, overwhelm, and burnout yeah. and have a more purpose-filled life.
1: Uh, how long would it take you to describe your first, second, and third key of caregiving? Because we're running out of time. Yes.
2: <laughs> the first one is organization. Organization. So it's really important to um, have a daily, weekly, monthly calendar mm-hmm. that you update it on a regular basis. And you have like all the appointments, all of the caregivers appointments, all the caregivers' appointments all in one place. Um, the second one is to have medication management. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be like a pill box or something in place and you need to kind of coordinate when all of those Prescriptions are refilled so that the caregiver can go to the pharmacy one time.
1: You know, there's great devices out there, automatic right. pill boxes that will alarm. And uh, mm-hmm. I bought one for my mother. And, yes. and then there was a point where she couldn't even do that. She thought the phone was ringing every time the thing went off. So mm-hmm. go on, number three.
2: Third what? one, it's just a health journal. Um, the second key is really planning. So really knowing your loved one's medical condition, the resources in the community. Um, the second one for that would be to um, have a list of providers that can help you in your specific area. And the third part of planning is to have an emergency binder. And in that m- emergency binder, you can put in like the patient journal that you keep because then you could have a clear record of how the person's responding to his or her environment Mm -hmm. on a daily basis and if there's been any change or not so that if you have a medical appointment or um, an ER visit you can bring the journal patient journal and you can bring the emergency folder that has like all the medical insurance and legal information in it in one place so then you can bring that and have all the information that you need. That's
1: being very organized and that will help uh, like a substitute caregiver who who comes in and doesn't know anything about anything and uh, it's essential.
2: Uh, Definitely. And the last key is really self-care. So you've got to find a community that can help you. You need to um, reach out and ask for help, uh which is a challenge for many caregivers and self-care. And um, if there's any way that Anybody has further questions, I'm always available to talk with them. Yes.
1: Well, we have run out of time, but uh, I do want to give you a chance to talk about, uh, you know, you have a special offer. and
2: My free offer is the five stepping stones to caregiving. So it looks at the financial, legal, medical, insurance, and self-care, and at the back of the pamphlet, our check sheets, so you can check off whether you have like all this documentation wow. in place, in and, and ready, before an emergency takes place.
1: Well, I want one of those. How do we get it? <laughs> me too.
2: Um, you would email me at mpetruci p e t r u c c i two thousand two at gmail dot com.
1: And uh, any books out there? Are you an author?
2: Uh, yes, I am. I did the One Habit for Thriving in a Post-COVID World and the One Habit Leadership book as well. And I also had was an contributor in the Voice of Women book.
1: Wow, you are a busy girl. You're on the uh, National Aging and Place Council and you're an author and you are just you're very uh you're an activist i guess it would say advocacy
2: um it is it's part of my um family legacy my um briefly my grandparents were striking in the coal fields in southern colorado oh, wow <laughs> So rockefeller moved them into from company housing into a tent colony in the fall of 1913 by February, March, my grandparents' oldest son became sick and the coal operators um, denied my grandmother access to take a train 14 miles to get medical care. Oh. And that child passed away. And a month and a half later, um, they lost the remaining three children in the Lovelo Massacre, where um oh. the governor sent in the Colorado militia without declaring martial law. They sent in Brink security Um and a lot of other support services. So my grandmother um, was able to go with two other women from Lolo with Mother Jones, who was one of the strike organizers, and a judge from Denver. And they went on a speaking tour to Chicago, New York, and Washington, DC. And I do have my grandmother's written testimony before congress exactly. so it's a family legacy for me i want to have a family foundation for feel, you and, and
1: mayor debbie uh have a lot to talk about uh yes. you, you could be very helpful to each other in connecting she's a, a great resource in your mm. political activities and i'm i'm very impressed <laughs>
2: thank you and me too. Uh,
1: i'd love to learn more about the national uh, aging in place council and and maybe get involved myself so we'll we'll keep in touch and we'll keep talking.
2: That would be great. I appreciate the opportunity to be here to to talk and to speak on behalf of Caregivers. And I met
1: you on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn is becoming to be uh, more and more uh resourceful uh for yes. for meeting people of like minds and like occupations, etc. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate it very much. And we learned a lot. And uh, Debbie, how can people get a hold of you if they want to become more politically active in their community? <laughs>
0: the easiest way is just to go to my website, debbiepeterson.com just my name.com. And there are links to books, links to podcasts, links to um, online course that w- is really helpful if you want to be effective.
1: And you were a caregiver to your mother as well, right?
0: I was, and every time we meet, I think about that. and for me, it was a wonderful time because my mom got it. I was really fortunate,
1: yes, you know, I like to say if you're not a caregiver out there, just wait. <laughs> you're either going to become one or need one. And I found you on LinkedIn, but uh, you were you were doing you were promoting something. What was it that you were that you had on LinkedIn? Do you remember?
2: Um, several things tomorrow. Um, well, I do a free masterclass mm. on Facebook on Wednesdays from 12 to 1, and it I do it on kind of like a rotating basis. This is, I think, the third time around um, on stress, um, burnout, um, lack of support, mm. financial concerns and lack of resources, as well as representational systems or communication. And now on boundaries. So tomorrow's will be on boundaries. Oh, um, So I've been promoting that. And I also have been looking at helping coaches um, as well in terms of the self-hypnosis training mm-hmm. and like the two and a half day certification course that I offer. Oh. Um, so if they take an open book test, they're certified in 42 countries.
1: Wow. So, So how do they how do they find you on Facebook?
2: um, Caregiver Lifeline Community is my group page. I also have my own personal page, Mary Elaine Petrucci. I have Mary Elaine Petrucci Healthcare Expert on Facebook as well.
0: Thank you so much, Mary Elaine, for everything that you're doing, and it's um it's really inspirational, Um, very professional, and. I think it'll be a great help to people. I'm going to send you an email because I have a friend who's kind of in the self-care giving situation and Mm -hmm. those three tips you gave would be perfect for her. So I'll send you an email. Thank you.
1: And I want to connect you with a friend that's in my mastermind. Uh, She's a therapist and she's um, currently trying to promote her uh, self-hypnosis classes. Maybe you two can brainstorm together and, uh, see what she does and see what you do.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: cause she's having trouble getting a lot of traditional doctors to even be open to the idea. Cause they're so close-minded, you know, do you find that as well?
2: Um, well, yes. And even some, um, even some of the coaches that I've been in contact with seem skeptical or they've
1: yeah, or they're downright the against and it and don't
2: want to do it. Um, or they're doing, they've been trained in something as an offshoot to hypnotherapy. What I offer is different in the sense that I can do the hypnotherapy and um, certify them in a two and a half day certification class. I can help them go through like the practitioner master practitioner courses wow. that they need to um, learn more about the techniques that they can utilize with their clients to get better success in their coaching business. So, um, and I'm the only, um, I'm one of a very few who
1: yeah.
2: can, can really certify them and designate them in 42 countries. Wow, Other practitioners cannot do that. So it, I'm offering them, you know, a better option in the sense that yeah. they, they can be respected in more countries. I, I have pleasure meeting and talking with both of you today. This oh, is,
1: the pleasure's ours. Um,
2: yeah. It's, been amazing to have you're an
1: amazing woman we should call you the honorable mary elaine
0: absolutely and (laughs) i actually it's occurred to me i would love to have you come on to my podcast it's called corruption chronicles because the books i wrote were about the corruption i found how i fixed it and i have a family history too which we won't talk about now but um i i would just love to interview you on on what your mother did if if it's it's usually half an hour, same as this. So I'll I'll shoot you an email, and if you're oh. open to talking about your grandmother, especially because it's a woman, and it's women
2: who do that, so it would be wonderful. Um, yes, I would love to. Can I just share something really quickly? Sure. Um, sure. This founder of a theater troupe contacted me like last February. We still don't know how he got my contact information. So I was it's on. <laughs> I was on Zoom. And I just thought I was giving him information about Grandma. The theater troupe do is um, does um, plays on social activism,
1: mm. so
2: they were doing it on strikes. So they were talking about the Denver International Airport strike, the King Super grocery store strike. We were talking about the Cisco, um, the big warehouse mm. uh, food. Uh, company and um there was several oh uh, the Denver Public Library. So we decided um that we would bring in my grandmother. So what we did was initially we picked this high school classroom and we picked a school district that had recently the new school board had ousted like the superintendent illegally. So we were using that school district saying that um, the teacher was teaching history and the superintendent was watching the the teacher and he dismissed her because she wasn't teaching the school district's curriculum. And so the student said, well, the teacher would allow them to talk about their mother and the strike at King Supers." And somebody else, one other student mentioned Ludlow and how Rockefeller killed women and children. And the superintendent says, you know, that was just a fluke, you know, no big thing. But he wanted them to write about um the barons of the industry like Rockefeller, like Tabor and all of these people. And then the students fall asleep. I come on and I um wake the students up. <laughs> uh, so I'm Mary Elaine. I'm Mary Petrucci. And, you know, I'm. I came here from Ludlow, and I would like to show you more about Colorado history. So I, we were practicing it in a college classroom. So they would be playing the Arlo Guthrie song in the background, mm-hmm. and they would have a picture of the pit. So I would walk students up and around the classroom, and then we would get to the pit on the other side of the classroom, and I talked about it briefly and um i then walked to the middle of the stage and say i'm mary elaine petrucci i just portrayed my grandmother mary petrucci my grandmother and another woman were the only two that walked out of that pit alive
1: oh.
2: um and i said you know i'm so proud of my grandparents the miners the their families and the children that stood up to Rockefeller, the governor, the Brink Security, and, and the Colorado militia. You know, um, I feel honored for that. And so that, but let me just explain. So we had, I had no idea where we were going to have the first play. We had it at the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the Local 68, <laughs> that my father belonged to for 65 years. Oh, wow. The food that evening was supplied by the United Mine Workers of America and I'm like, okay, way too much. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty earth-shaking. I just it, so it was really outstanding to like portray my grandmother in that situation.
0: That's wow. wonderful. Yeah. That would be just a, a really fascinating podcast to do and I'd love to. So I'll email you and we'll set up a time. Great.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to extend this interview because there's just a lot of good stuff here that should be mm-hmm. in it. Might go to 45 minutes.
2: <laughs> thank you. I um, wanted to cut, share my passion for why I do what I do for caregivers and people without health care.
1: I think we have a pretty good idea now. Well, thank you again. Do you want to say one other thing, Mary? Look like Um, you say something.
2: I just wanted to, um, again, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I really do wanna advocate for caregivers. I want them to be seen and I want them to be heard and I want them to be recognized. And I'm here to help them in any way I can.
1: And you know, I'll send you uh, the information on my Acapulco retreat also, because as far as I'm concerned, there's only three ways to save a caregiver's life. And it's a three prong thing, you know, one on one coaching to get through to them, because a lot of them are like your father just in denial about things, you know, Mm -hmm. and then um, getting them around other caregivers to brainstorm like a support group. And uh, I call it a mastermind and then take them away you know, on a vacation to some exotic place. Because many of these people, I've spent 30 years since I've been on vacation. Some people say, I've never been on vacation, you know, 50 years. And they yeah. don't know what a vacation is. They don't know how to relax. They don't know how to de- de-stress. They and don't. Stress is the killer, you know.
2: Right. I totally agree with that. I do also have, like, a uh, caregiver community lifeline community um, membership site, um, I haven't really. I've been kind of putting it on hold until I get my um, caregiver programs up and running. Mm. But it you have has an
1: email list of- as well.
2: Um. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: well, if If you feel led to to share on your list what I do, you know, it's up to you. I don't want to. Okay. Presume.
2: I appreciate what that you're doing. Um, that mastermind that was part of what why I did the um community because I felt like at least they could um connect with each other yeah. with um the speakers that i had on conferences and um also with myself um and then i had resources and then all the speakers programs and everything yeah. on there
1: and you know so. caregivers tend to be cheap and frugal and you know they'll cut off their nose despite their face um mm-hmm. Of course, it costs money, and they they say, "Well, I can't afford that." I says, "Well, you can't afford not to." I mean, if you go down, you're in the hospital, right. and and a lot of the plans now five thousand dollar minimum uh, out of pocket. I said, "Where are you going to get that from?" You know, well, right. if you have to pay, you'll find the money somewhere, and uh, it's it's just sad that uh, so many of them don't realize that this is going to prevent you from spending money down the road is it's going to save your life because if you don't die you'll either become hospitalized and uh, eventually need a caregiver of your own and then what's going to happen to grandma you know who's going to take care of her some sibling might you know who doesn't have the compassion and the empathy you have just stick her in some county nursing home and Mm -hmm. you know a lot of places i wouldn't put my cat in you know yeah
2: well, not only that, but there's not going to be any caregivers in those places oh, to take true. care of them. So um <laughs> That's a scary thing. There's not going to be really options in the future. So unless we um
1: And you talk about strikes, you know, if right. if all the caregivers in America went on strike for a day, mm-hmm. the whole system would collapse. Oh, it would. And and that would get politicians' attention. And, uh, you know, there must be something that can be done. I know we're not doing enough, but it's hard to motivate caregivers uh, to do stuff other than their little grind that they do and their little narrow-focused attention. You know, r- very rarely do they look up and see what's going on. You know, they're just so focused.
2: So let me ask you two things. So are you finding... um this is what i was finding but i just curious are these caregivers that are in your mind mastermind are they identifying as a caregiver
1: yes they're they're um i'm talking about my facebook page Thirty four thousand of them Mm -hmm. and um you know many of them will like share and uh, comment on cute little funny caregiver memes Mm -hmm. i'll get the highest on that but when I post my show or some information that would actually help them, a handful respond. It's like, you know, I don't have time for that. You know, I don't have time to watch a video. I don't have time to listen to a, a podcast. I don't have time to to listen to your five-minute uh, wisdom on, uh, you know, what I should do to stay alive. But send me a, a funny little cartoon meme about caregivers. Uh, yeah, I'll... I'll click that I'll share that I'll comment on that.
2: I know yeah. that's what I'm finding in the caregiver group they're not really responding to any of like the master classes I'm doing um whether it's on you know on Wednesday afternoon
1: yeah join the um, club <laughs>
2: okay well I was now, just they like pictures going of my
1: granddaughter and they like pictures of uh, uh of my dog. And they like pictures of my wife who's all dressed up like the Queen of England. You know, just frivolous stuff that is not going to help them. I, I think that they like distractions from what they're doing. They want to be entertained. And we'll entertain them in Acapulco, but, you know, you, it's a commitment.
2: Are they paying for that, though?
1: Are they paying for what?
2: The Acapulco experience. Yeah,
1: um, no. We're, we're finally going after wealthier caregivers who are uh retired and maybe ill and they are paying facilities to have the caregiver come and they're paying good money and i met you know a few of those at the uh at the expo that i did and uh they're very grateful i love my caregiver susie i'm gonna send her on this acapulco thing you know and and in fact give me all three of your books i'm gonna buy them for her and you know they can afford it and they just have a different mentality because if you know if you're not paying for something it's like right. there's a there's a perceived value that it's not worth anything because it's free you know
2: right exactly so um how are you attracting then these wealthier care- caregivers or people that well, need it we're
1: we're experimenting and we're doing um facebook uh, campaigns to the ones who are in wealthier zip codes the ones who are in wealthier occupations, because doctors, lawyers, nurses, theoretically a third of every sector of the population, every sector of demographics are caregivers, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe they can afford to, maybe they don't do it themselves, but they can afford to hire a caregiver, but they're still mentally attached to their loved one. And even though they're not physically putting the time in, they're worried about them. And, uh, you know, they go over there a lot and they see things and, uh, you know, like someone was just telling me that uh, their mother uh, won't listen to them. You know, I was just on a coaching call uh, today and she says, you know, uh, she won't wear her medallion. And I says, mom, you have to wear that. said, no, I have my cell phone. Well, if you fall, you know, that cell phone could go flying. You need, don't tell me what to do. I'm fine. You know, and, and, so that's mental stress, you know, because mm-hmm. they worry, oh my gosh, what if she falls? Right. Oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh. And so there's there's different kinds of stress, mental stress, physical stress, emotional stress. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tough occupation. <laughs> and well, I've just resolved myself, I'm not going to be able to help all of them. I think a third of them uh, will never be able to be helped. They're just uncoachable. They're unsavable. I know mean, that's a terrible attitude to have, but just from my experience of seeing my my uh, Facebook group, it's like you know, it's hard to be optimistic with a group of them. I I I make it as high as thirty percent. In fact, coincidentally, the same number that are going to die <laughs> before their loved ones do. <laughs> because they just don't get it they're just in denial like your father was he's sitting there allowing his wife to do dangerous things that could kill her or cripple her and he's totally oblivious to it you know and that's that's the that's the caregiver i'm talking about because he was technically her caregiver he should have been involved you know
2: well he, he exactly um As
1: a husband, you know, you are a caregiver to your wife, regardless of what condition she's in. You're there to protect her.
2: Well, exactly. And um, when mom fell the second time and broke her pelvis, I guess dad turned around to close the back door and she fell. Um, Yeah. uh, I don't know. He had me talk with a friend. Just ignorance, you
1: know, not not ignorance of the law, you know, as the cops say, is no excuse. Ignorance well, just means you don't know what you don't know.
2: Well, that's true. Uh, I had another, uh, I he, my father had me speak to some, a friend of theirs. And she was saying, giving me an example where this uh, couple um, were living alone. And I guess one of them had Alzheimer's or dementia. And there were flights of stairs to the basement and she felt it was fine for the two of them to make the decisions by themselves. And I'm like, well, if they had no one there to support them, maybe, but I, that doesn't mean I can do that for mom and feel like I, um, stood up for her and advocated for her. Cause mm-hmm. if I didn't, I would feel horrible. Sure. So I, I don't know. It's, I even had a friend who, whose um, father was a neurosurgeon, and her mother passed away in August. And I was going through this crisis, I guess, in the fall. And when she called it Thanksgiving, I couldn't even help her with her grief because I was going through my own crisis. And years later, she said she didn't understand why I did that. I should have let my parents alone. And I'm like, really? <laughs>
1: Yeah, okay. that, that's the mentality these days of the the younger generations, you know.
2: They don't want to take care of anyone. I, I don't know where we're getting these caregivers, but there's, I mean, it's great to have all these senior centers and residences, but there's no way who's going to even work in them. Yeah. Uh, you know so the whole thing is um pretty frightening especially with that crisis that's coming up
1: you know remember years ago decades ago the chinese said mm-hmm. one one child that's it you know and they were even aborting you know second mm-hmm. and third and fourth child chi- and now they've they've reneged on that they they realized they made a terrible mistake you know why because as those parents got older there was only one child to be the potential caregiver and they realize that the odds of one child being, you know, an ideal candidate, because, you know, you might have five kids and only one of them do they want or only one of them is qualified with the right temperament and emotional and empathy, et cetera. And they're realizing that they need more children uh, for the pool of caregivers to take care of them. Because they've got to take care of them, the government, and it's they cost money, you know. So there you go. Even, yeah. even the communist Chinese are learning the importance of caregivers. <laughs>
2: well, the other thing, if you're going to, I, I think a few months ago, somebody was saying, all right, so uh, about mm. half, I, I'm just throwing that figure out, but of Physicians are nearing retirement age, so I guess in the this, in this 80s or something, since there was a glut of physicians coming out of medical school, I guess the government cut back on funding for each of the schools, so they produced fewer and fewer physicians. Well, again, we're going to have another crisis, because nobody's going to yeah. be there to take care of anyone, so... It's a vicious circle.
1: And so, with that, exactly. I will say thank you very much. And uh, basically, to all my listeners out there, um, I just want to thank you for making us the number one podcast on the internet. And just a reminder that uh, my newly released book, Secrets from the Hammock Common Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is available wherever books are sold and even on caregiverdave.com, my membership website, my free membership website. And if you join my community of 34,000 Facebook followers, you'll learn all about my new Acapulco Villa caregiver wellness retreat and vacation that I offer to burned out caregivers. Trying to keep as many of those 30% of caregivers who die before their loved ones do alive. Mm -hmm. And I just found out a new statistic, 40% of Alzheimer's caregivers die before their loved ones do. And Mm -hmm. 70% of caregivers over the age of 70 die before their loved ones do so i mean if you want to stay alive you got to look into this (laughs) or prolong your life anyway so again thanks to all my listeners out there um if you see a like or follow button please hit it it helps google uh do something with their analytics that uh, make us reach more people so until next week same time same channel may god richly bless you all bye bye Hey everybody, it's Dave Nassani, otherwise known as Caregiver Dave. And I'm coming to you live from this beautiful Acapulco Villa, which I like to say is the perfect prescription for caregiver burnout. And I have a unique opportunity to bring 14 burned out caregivers up here so that they can decompress and do all the things that they need to do. But this is just a bonus. It actually comes with the six-month zoom coaching program it's a one-on-one consult with me caregiver dave to identify where you are and where you need to go it's a six monthly small group coaching sessions to smash any obstacles between you and your ideal vision of what a caregiver needs to be and caregiver success you get my three free books and instructions on boundaries grief self-care organization asking for help learning how to say no avoiding burnout, avoiding depression, avoiding perfectionism, avoiding isolation, avoiding resentment, delegation, team building, how to have fun, how to have no guilt, the importance of gratitude, and after caregiving when you're no longer a caregiver. But this seven day bonus is absolutely free. It comes with the coaching program that you pay for and the food is all-inclusive. I'm telling you, seven days and seven nights here is amazing. This is truly paradise, and I highly recommend it. For more information, go to caregiverdave.com. That's going to send you to my other website, and if you want a shortcut to get there immediately, just go to acapulcodave.com. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you in Acapulco.